You are now experiencing the roller coaster known as country music. Sit back, relax, keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times, fasten your seat belts, and be sure to tip your waiters and waitresses. Now, without further ado, your guides, Ryan and Jordan. This is the Country Music Critic. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that heartbreak hotel where I'll be. I'll be just a lonely baby. I'm so excited. Dude, this is one of the most gigantic artists that ever do it. Ever. They still talk about him to this day. On a daily basis. Uh, extremely honored to be able to talk about this man. I've been to his house. I think you have too. You've yes, been to I Sun have. Studios. I have not. I've seen Sun, Sun Studios, but I've not been there. It is something magical. And I know this is a country music podcast, but Elvis is, he's everything. Well, if he was alive today... Or if he was just you know, coming up today, it would be country. Like that's what country is now. Oh yeah, a lot of it, With, you know. without a doubt. And you know the song that we opened with, "Heartbreak Hotel." There, across the street, there is a Heartbreak Hotel that you can stay at in Memphis. Yeah, it's really you know? cool. Yeah. So, what was your thoughts when you went into his house? I was fascinated because it was all you know. Nineteen seventies decoration. They haven't changed. It's it's like a time capsule. It is. Now my wife, she was like, "Oh, that's just it's just tacky." Yeah. What do you expect? But back then, right? It was it was it was in Southern living back then. Yeah, I mean, he had the best of the best. (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, better homes and gardens was there on on a daily. Yeah. (laughs) Now the time that you went, did they have the headphones that you walk around with and the when you go into a room, it activates and tells you what's... Yeah, yeah. yeah they did that. Yeah. It was... Man, it was really... I wanted to go upstairs. But I did, upstairs. too, so bad. I was like, I just want to see the bathroom. I don't know. I don't, I can understand why they want to keep that private. Yeah. But, ooh, just... I don't know. I well, don't know. folks, if you've never been to Graceland... Whether you're a music fan or not, you need to. A lot of history there. A lot of history. And I've. it's kind of like the Johnny Cash house. I was so fortunate enough to actually stand on the back porch, mm-hmm. and then it burned. Oh. So, like, nobody yeah. can ever do that again. Right. So, I really feel like Elvis is a place that if you haven't been, you need to go. I agree with that. It's a you know, bucket list destination for sure absolutely i've never really been like i'm trying to think if i've been to any other artists home after i don't think i have yeah i've been to loretta's too it's pretty amazing her birthplace and where she resides it's pretty amazing you can't go upstairs there either something about keeping them on the ground floor but anyways we're gonna dive right in this one i'm gonna go ahead and advise you folks we're likely going to be at the two-hour mark. We would be absolutely thrilled if you hung out with us. We got a new podcast studio set up. The studio's not ready yet, but the audio is, hopefully. Yeah. So bear with us as we adjust things and get it going. 
It should so, sound a lot better for sure. More clear. It should. Yeah. It should. So here we are, folks. Elvis Aaron Presley. That was his original name. Yeah. He was born January the 8th, 1935. He is one of the few artists that people flock to the home still today and celebrate his birthday and his death date, which is August 16th, 1977. That's when the world was flipped upside down. Had Elvis still been with us today, he would have been 87. Some people really believe that he did not die. All the stuff that he was doing at that time. It would have been impossible for his body to not. <laughs> his liver but, was pissed anyway. So. But that level of fame, right? he could have pulled it off. Yeah, oh, yeah, he could have. He could have. You know, I, f- I feel like mm. if he didn't really die that day, he's done dead by now. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories out there that, you know, people saw a man you know, matching, you know, Elvis's uh, description walk out the back door. Yeah. At the, like when the coroner and all that was there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I believe it or whatever, but I will. I don't know. I'm gonna hold off on all that speculation when we get. To, okay. Yeah, you know, that part of the timeline. All right. So here we are, folks. The king of rock and roll, the first biggest music icon of all time. He was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, when he was young, they moved to Memphis. Um, they were in a two-bedroom shotgun house which, if you guys have never heard what a shotgun house is, basically you can stand at the front door with a shotgun and shoot right through the house. So I know that's kind of corny, but that's kind of what a shotgun house was. His dad built the house for the occasion. Back then, that's what dads did. They made a way to make it happen. His brother, Jesse, was delivered 35 minutes before him, but unfortunately, he passed away. He was a stillborn. So that makes Elvis an only child. Yep. And, and as you, and honestly, I believe that that kind of affected him you know, mentally growing up. Absolutely. That's why his mother Gladys kept him real close. They had such a close relationship that even Elvis slept in the bed with his mom until the teen years. And the reason why is because number one they were so poor that they didn't have a lot of extra bedrooms so sometimes Elvis didn't even have a a room to have to his own Uh, he attended the assembly of God that was the first time that he found the love for music his father Vernon moved to job to job he was kind of a job hopper the family always had help from neighbors and the government assistance They lost their home in 1938 when Elvis was three because his dad technically was altering a check, which is the same thing as a cold check. But back then, that's what they called it. You got a lot more trouble back then than you do now. Yes. His dad went to jail for eight months. So mom and Elvis, they moved in around 1945 with some family. At this time, this is kind of around the time that he was 10. He started to perform. The first time that he ever performed. Uh, Shep. It's about a dog. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Old Shep. Old Shep. uh, Of course, it was a cover, but uh, the original song was about a little boy who had a dog, and um, it was getting old, and it it was time to put it down, and he had a gun aimed at the dog, but he just could not pull the trigger because he loved it that much, and it broke his heart. So he held the dog, and the dog died in his arms. 
wow. instead of shooting it. So it's a very emotional. I haven't heard song. that song. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did it <laughs> in my research. I, I hopped, you know, I, I happened upon that. I got you. So if you can imagine, folks, Elvis at the age of 10 wearing a cowboy hat and boots, he placed fifth in the talent show. And when his birthday come around, he was really hoping that he would get a rifle or a bike, like most 10-year-olds. Yeah. But instead, his mom bought him a guitar. Yeah, and it changed his life forever. It did. And although he was very shy, a pastor and an uncle gave him guitar lessons, which then puts us around 1946. During lunch, he would pick up his guitar and play a few songs, but a lot of people seen him as like a loner, a trashy mm-hmm. kid, yeah. like a like a white trash hillbilly. And you know, I you know, I can relate with him in a way because there are certain times when I was in school that I just wanted to be by myself. And if I had a guitar at that time, man, I, I think I could have been the next Elvis. You think so? <laughs> no, no. I can <laughs> yeah. move my hips like that though, for yeah. real. Yeah, but. Uh, I mean, you see those kids when you're in school. You know, you have some kids sitting by themselves. If they just had something to hold on to during that time, could you imagine what we could? That's all it was. Possible. Any, yeah, he had to have something, and he had his guitar. Yeah. And now the world has changed because of it. Forever changed. So by this time, he's living in a black neighborhood, and a classmate of his and his brother, they talk him into doing a radio show. This was the first time that he was going to get a chance to go do a radio show. But he chickened out. So he waited a few weeks later, and then he come back, and he did this little radio show. Then he starts getting a reputation that, hey, this kid is crazy about music. But he didn't really gain any traction. Mm-hmm. So here we are, 1948, after living nearly a year in rented rooms from house to house, they were granted a two-bedroom house in public housing. This is when he enrolled in school, uh, but he was in the eighth grade. And did you know the king of rock and roll in eighth grade got a C in music? (laughs) Well, it makes sense, though. He didn't even pass the class. The teacher told him that he really couldn't sing, so he brought his guitar in, showed her what he thought, and how appreciative he was of the music but he was still just bullied classmates called him a mama's boy i mean people didn't really get it and i don't think elvis got it either because at that time he didn't really have nobody to look up to and say that's who i want to be no because his dad was in trouble so he couldn't really say you know that's what that's what i want my life to be like when i get you know bigger his mom was super protective. Yes. Super. She was worried about him all the time. Like, she was always, you know, stressed out. You know, alcoholics ran rampant in his family. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of history of alcoholism. And he just, he had to have something to turn to, and he found music. And that's, if it wasn't for music, I don't, he wouldn't have ever met anything. No, no, and... What I'm saying is, like, nowadays people look up to Luke Combs or, my, you know, Elvis or something mm-hmm. like that. Back then, I don't think he really had a megastar that he could look up to. And, it was all gospel singers. There yeah. was no secular music. It I was, mean, it and, was, and it was this way and yeah. this way only. Well, 
the only thing besides gospel music was you had uh, <clears throat> black music. The blues were you know, big at that time. And a lot of people have said he only got famous because he you know, played black music. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. I got a really cool <laughs> line for that. So around 1950, him and his two buddies, they create a band. At this time, he's also doing odd and end jobs. He was an usher at a theater. He also worked on precision tools. So as a teenager, he kind of stood out because of one time that he was on Bell Street, he goes past this clothing place called Lance, Lansky Brothers. They are famous for putting clothes on Roy Orbison and Elvis. They were flashy. He had never seen nothing like this. So he buys the clothes, he wears them to school, he's got the sideburns, he's got his hair styled with rose oil and Vaseline. Big old pompadour. Yeah, Yeah. at this time, he's just standing out. And I gotta say, it wasn't too bad. Mm. Looking, I mean, I guess back then, it was like, he looks like he's from a spaceship. I want you you to think about it like this. He looked like that back then. And that's comparable to somebody now who has, you know, three-fourths of their head shaved and the other part is right. like polka dot. <laughs> right. When people look at that, yeah. 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 The way we see them now is how they saw Elvis. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So he gets a chance to perform at this local talent show once again. Okay? And he gets on stage, and this is kind of where his pop- popularity begins to change. Because when he gets up on that stage... He puts on a hell of a performance. And when he gets off, he noticed that people are talking, they're cheering. And that's the first time that he got the cold chills. So that was around the end of 52. 53, he graduates high school, and all of his goals is music. He doesn't want to do anything else except music. He checks into the office of Mr. Sam Phillips of Sun Studio. Now, this right here is where I'm going to take a break and tell you. Sun Studio is also in the Graceland trip. Mm-hmm. So if you go see Elvis, make sure you go on down the road and see mm-hmm. Sun Studio because, as you're about to find out, a lot of historic things have happened. And that was a room that I went in and I just I felt cold chills. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I can see that. There's a lot of, I mean, Johnny Cash performed there yeah. on top of Elvis, on top of Jerry Lee Lewis, on top of all of them. All them guys from back in that that time. Yeah. Uh, what's what's his name? Yeah, died in a plane crash. He was right there with them too. There was a lot of uh, yeah, the million dollar quartet, which we'll get to. It, it, he, I think he's in the name of the people that you're talking about. Uh, Buddy Holly is what yes. I was thinking. Buddy Holly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, he goes into Sun Studio, and let me correct some people because they think that Elvis's first record deal was Sun it wasn't Sun Studios was a recording place where you could go record so that's all that Sun was but he went in there to record a gift for his mother which mm-hmm. was two songs uh, yeah. those two songs were going to be the songs that he gave to his mother but instead fate had another idea Yeah. well I mean they heard it all they had to do was hear it yeah, and I'm telling you what, he didn't sound like nobody else. Nope. So he's so at this point he does his 
he does his recording. It doesn't really go nowhere just yet. So he gets a job as a truck driver for Crown Electric in the area. Um, there was a professional band in the area that was really needing a singer. So he tried out. And they told him, hey, you're never going to make it. You can't be with us. So Sam Phillips, or Sam Phillips is telling everybody, if I could find a white man who had the Negro sound and the Negro feel, I could make a billion dollars. We gotta say that's a quote. That is exactly <laughs> what he said. It's not something we would say. <laughs> I know. I mean, he completely. But back then, right. they just said yeah, whatever that, they that wanted to say. Yeah, that yeah. was normal back then. So he calls Elvis back in. Elvis comes in. He picks up his guitar, and they had been there for hours, and just couldn't get the feel. Everybody was stressed out. They they just didn't know what they were doing until. Elvis picks up his guitar, and he does this right here. You got anything else to say, sir? No, I'm ready. We're going to do a song for you. We've got on the song record. It goes something like this. That's all right, Mama. That's all right with you. That's all right, Mama. Just any way to do That's all right. It's all right. Well, now my mama, she done told me, papa done told me too. Son, that guy you were fooling with, she ain't no good for you, but that's all right. It's all right. If you could go back in time, is that a place that you would put on the list to be in that room when that happened? Or would you rather see Elvis in a different setting? I'd like to see him early on for sure. If I had to go back and see Elvis, like there's other stuff I would do first, but yeah, if I was going back to see Elvis, right? I think, ooh, I don't know. Like I would, one of those early performances before. I think after this fact, yeah, but before the Inferno hit, yeah, like before yeah. he caught fire. Right. I would love to see one of those little small, intimate One little rooms. weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with Elvis. Uh-huh. So, as he records this, the band just jumps in and starts playing. Sam don't even know what's going on. Okay, Elvis is just acting a fool, having a good time, and they come out with this song. So, he takes this song, he sends it to radio. It was actually July the 5th is when they sent it, which is? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> So, of course, many, many moons ago, uh, the radio station plays it on repeat for two hours. They bring in Elvis, do an interview. The phones start ringing like crazy. And until this interview, everyone thought that Elvis was black. But he wasn't. (laughs) So the song that they pushed out was That's All Right, but on side B was Blue Moon of Kentucky. So, at this time, this is when he goes and he plays at the Bel Air Club for the first time in front of people. And he shows off his move, the rubber legs, which were very iconic still to this from, day. Uh, yeah, he learned those from uh, Forrest Gump, didn't he? 
You know, the way they've done that in that movie <laughs> was, was phenomenal. Yeah, it was great. That's one of the greatest movies of all time, in it, my opinion. It ties everything together. It, it's perfect. And a yeah. great soundtrack. So, he plays the Grand Ole Opry. He makes one appearance. The Opry manager says he's good, but he doesn't really fit our program. So, he's really not taking any traction, even though he's got people calling in. If you can imagine this radio station right now can only reach so many people so then he goes to the louisiana hayride which this is broadcasted to 198 stations over 28 states he makes enough money off of one performance to where he trades in his child-sized guitar because a lot of people, when they see him, they think, oh, he must have been a big dude. Look how little the guitar is. <laughs> yeah. But it was a youth guitar. Mm-hmm. He trades that in for a $175 guitar, which okay. nowadays time, yeah. that would have been 1800 So he has a sponsor, which is Southern Made Donuts, and they helped him form his lifelong love for the donuts. You can see that in later years. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm not a donut fan. I like donut holes, but I don't like donuts. Dude, I, I love donuts. Really? Yeah, it's getting like, bad. I'm getting too like old. jelly-filled donuts? Not jelly-filled. I don't like the jelly-filled ones. But so like, just you, a classic glaze. You, you give me a, a glaze or a chocolate-covered or a, a nice eclair with some kind of you know Boston cream or uh, maybe custard-filled. Really? Man, that's hmm. where it's at. Well, at this time, they were starting to kick around nicknames. Names like the King of Western Bop, the Hillbilly Cat, the Memphis Flash. Now, I hear those now, and they don't make sense. But back then, possibly. I'm sure they all had a story behind them. Yes. At this time, this is when the teenage boys started to really hate on Elvis. The jealousy was over the top. He went to Texas, he did a show, and the police had to call in extra guards just for this. This was around 1955. He was selling out anywhere that booked him. And he was the number one artist with no record deal. Three major record labels offered him $25,000 apiece. But RCA was the one to come in with the $40,000 offer that got Presley. But he was 20 at the time, and for some unreason, they wouldn't let him sign the contract. So his father had to sign the recording contract for him. Hmm. I would think. I mean, when did the 18 thing come into law? I don't know. I would have kind of assumed it was like that for a long time. It was Maybe seem. he had trouble reading or something. It's possible he didn't do good in school. Yeah. So, 1956 is when he makes his first TV appearance. This is when people see that he is the big deal. Okay. He performs the song that we led in with, which was Heartbreak Hotel. He then records Blue Suede Shoes, which, are you a fan of that song? Yeah. I mean, it's not my favorite, but it is a good song. I mean, that was was back when he was... He was killing it then. Yeah. That was when he was starting to catch fire. Here is the audio from 1956. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show. Three to get ready, now go get going, but don't you double my boot with shoes. 
my face Sign my name all over the place I'll do anything that you want to do But I, I, honey, lay off of my shoes And don't you tell them I'm going play with you Well, you can do anything but lay off of my shoes Yeah I mean, people never seen nothing like that before. No, it's totally different. He's got his own style at that time, and that's what—that's what all of those agents and those you know people working at the you know, studios—they wanted a white man to play black music, and, and he, he was it. it. He was successful, and that's but, all they needed. But they didn't really think that he would have the entertainment side of him, right. because he was. The true blue entertainer. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a showman. I mean, he had it all. Everything. Like if you could produce something, that's what he is. He's yeah. an entertainer. He drives the crowd crowd crazy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's not a cold swindle. I mean, he can look oh, the part. Man. He can sound like the part. Why'd you? Have he to is bring the part. His name up. I just gotta make a little stab at you every now and then, keep you awake. I cannot stand cold swindle. <laughs> Uh, so I'm surprised you haven't you know, brought up his manager yet. I haven't got to that part yet, but I mean, you can you can go ahead if you want to. No, I mean, I don't have I, got I don't have his manager's you name. It. You don't have it? No, no, because I was just sticking to the facts on Elvis. I don't. If you have a story about the manager, we could go ahead and do that if you want. Only thing that I have is with this performance, Chad Atkins was in the band. Chad Atkins becomes the biggest member of the country music community later on he also becomes the vip of the record label i mean he is the top dog and he got his start playing in the band with elvis so are we around the time that he hires his manager um he let me get my facts straight i don't want to be wrong uh kind of well, after this performance, he gets on a plane. And this is another story of how things could have ended for him. The plane engine stalls, and it was like midair. Somehow they get it all back up and going and have a safe landing. But it really stressed Elvis out from that point because he almost did die. This is when Heartbreak Hotel hits number one at the radio. He did two weeks in Vegas. By this time, the teen girls were just insane. A church group sent a letter to the FBI saying that Elvis's stage actions is showing a passion towards young girls. By this time, they went on tour. A show that they did, they had over a thousand teenage boys show up to fight Elvis. So his manager works out a seven-year motion picture deal with him to kind of get him off of the stage for a little while. Mm -hmm. And that manager seemed like he did a lot for Elvis. He did a lot for him, but he's kind of shady. His name is uh, uh, Colonel Tom Parker. But in me saying that's his name, that's not his actual name. That's what he told everybody. He was very secretive. Like this this guy, he was the manager for a lot of other artists back then. Um, to name a few, let's see. Uh, uh, Tommy Sands was one of them. 
Um, but I'm sure Elvis easily worked his way to the top of the list. Oh, yeah. He was only working with Elvis at the time when he started working with him. Uh, the contract that you know, uh, uh, Phillips and the studio had signed with you know, Elvis and his parents, that expired in, uh, I believe, 1956. Eight days after it expired, he uh, worked on a meeting with uh, uh, Colonel Parker. And uh, Parker, after that, he you know, basically he was only supposed to have a small hand in you know what Elvis did, but he controlled him completely. Yeah, like he controlled everything about everything that he did. The whole you know, controversial part about all that is he was born Andreas. Uh, Cornelius Van uh, Kujic. Well, I can see why he changed his name. Yeah. He claimed he was... Uh, he was born in the Netherlands. He immigrated illegally to the United States at the age of 20. Um, he he claimed... I'm trying to remember exactly what he claimed that he, he uh, used to do, but the fact of the matter is he faked it in, until he made it. <laughs> wow. That's the way to put it. So like, Elvis couldn't have hired a worse well, manager. It wasn't his first manager, though. It was his second manager. So, like, and actually, you know, Colonel Parker was you know, supposed to just help. He wasn't supposed to control everything. Oh. But when he came in, he made a lot of right moves. Right. You know, uh, uh, Colonel Parker did. He didn't have any anybody else's you know, best interest at mind except for Elvis. Yeah. He wanted Elvis to be the biggest star the world had ever seen. And he, he succeeded at it. Absolutely. He wanted everybody's opinion of Elvis to be, you know, grade A, like 100%. Yeah. And he succeeded. But there's a lot of speculation on how shady the guy was, you know? Yeah. Like, which, I mean, if you... Honestly, if you if you, you know, truly look at it, if you want to be the most successful person in the world, probably odds are at some point have to do some shady stuff. Well, you know, that brings me to a story that I was told once in Nashville that a manager is sometimes the greatest thing that an artist can ever have because he is your no guy. He is your asshole. When people don't want to pay the bill or they short you on money, he is the guy that is portrayed as, well, that guy was an asshole, mm-hmm. but Elvis wasn't. Elvis just come out, done a show, went back to wherever and left. So sometimes that manager, that's what their job is, you know, and yeah. it makes sense for some situations. Yeah, that's for sure. Speaking of that, his manager once told him, Elvis, leave the guitar backstage, come out, do one song, and see how the crowd acts. And that was the, with this song right here. But I had a dog to cry all the time. You ain't looking but I had a dog crying all the time. Well, you ain't never caught a rabbit and you ain't no friend of mine. Well, they said you was high class. Well, that was just a lie. Yeah, they said you was high class. I thought that was weird where he says 
It's the line about the rabbit. You ain't never called a rabbit and you ain't no friend of mine. <laughs> it was always so weird to me. But, I mean, it's funny. I like it. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a New York reporter in the crowd at this time. And they wrote an awful article. said, he's really not talented. He just acts like a child in a bathtub jumping around all over the place. And this is when the news actually gave him the nickname Elvis the Pelvis. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he, he he could work up Elvis, that's for sure. So, them hits. management's idea was, let's clean him up for the next TV appearance mm-hmm. in a white suit and a tie, which is what we come to see Elvis as. Yeah. At this time, he releases Don't Be Cruel, which is one of the greatest songs of his at all that. I mean, yeah. it, it's kind of hard to make a top Elvis song because yeah. there's so many. It's all personal preference, really. I mean, it's what you prefer, like certain styles. I go into the, the you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the Unchained Melody, the Can't Help Falling in Love. That's that's my style that I like. But, yeah. I mean, Heartbreak Hotel, Hound just... Dog, Blue Suede Shoes. You can, I mean, yeah, Shake, Rattle, and Roll. There's a million songs that he had. I actually want to touch on you said something about the guy who you know worked for the newspaper in you know, New York at his show. At that time, if an article was written, you know, in a newspaper, everybody in the world seen it. Yeah, because that is the only form of of news, basically. Yeah, you had some TV, but I mean, honestly, you're not you're not seeing a whole lot about entertainment on TV at the time. It's just all news. But when you get your name and your 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 uh, picture in a in a newspaper, I mean that's that's big time. Everybody in the world sees that. Everybody. Yeah. You know, now, it's not like that. I mean, you you could have a newspaper, yeah, you know, print something up now, and yeah, two percent of the of yeah. the population is going to see it. I mean, that's it. I can't remember somebody reading a newspaper in the last two or three years, mm-hmm. like actually walking in and like yeah. my grandparents, but. Yeah. You know, uh, that used to be a big deal. Like, yeah. I mean, collecting that time, newspapers, that's, keeping newspapers. At that time, know. that was it. Yeah, I mean, the that's all they the had. internet killed the newspaper. It did. So, he and has, magazines. at this time, he has Hound Dog and Don't Be Cruel on the radio. They're skyrocketing like crazy. He makes the comment, ain't no New York reporter going to change me. Then, while he was in Jacksonville, Florida, a judge requests that Elvis tame his act. So he stood still and he moved only his pinky. <laughs> yeah. Out of a joke. So Hound Dog and Don't Be Cruel went number one for 11 weeks. It took 36 years to beat that record. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got, it was that gigantic at that time, like, at the time frame, there were no other, there no other sound like that. You did not hear that style of music. No, not at all. You just you didn't. Mm-mm. You didn't hear it at it's all. Like today, I mean, there's not any you know, piece of music that's going to stay on no. the list that long because there's so many. There's just so much competition. Yeah, so much out there now. Yeah, but back then there wasn't. So Ed Sullivan books Elvis for three shows, $50,000. There were 60 million people watching from home. As the camera was set to only film Elvis 
from the uh, stomach up. And that's when he debuted Love Me Tender. And I always will. So this song was massive. It grows a little bit as it goes, but that was the year that it came out. Also in this year, he does the Mississippi-Alabama Fair, where they have to call in 50 extra National Guards just to help control the crowd. They got to control the women. I mean, that's impressive in itself to be so famous that they got to call in the National Guard. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So around this time, he does his first movie that was originally supposed to be called The Reno Brothers. They changed the title because of his song went number one to Love Me Tender. Now, cool story about that. Here in Glasgow, where we're from, the area, we have a plaza theater that has been there for decades. And my grandmother actually seen that movie at the plaza. And I didn't really go down the movie hole with Elvis. But from the information my grandmother told me, that was the best movie that he was ever in, that the others were just corny and didn't really have a storyline. Yeah, they were just all made so he would sing the soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, he had a thousand soundtracks. I mean, it was unreal how many that he had. Because at the time, that's what was making the money. According to his manager, Colonel Parker, that's what was making the money. That's what was bringing it in. So that's the only thing he ever told him about. He's like, we need to do this movie. You need to sing the soundtrack because that's how you make the money. And that's it. To be exact, it was 27 films and 16 soundtracks. Yeah. I don't know an artist today that it's done 16 soundtracks. I don't know an artist today that would want to do 16 soundtracks. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'd say a lot of that had to take a mental toll on him. Well, I mean, this is something I thought about when I was you know, doing my research. I mean, we have to understand they he was the first huge star and at the time I mean nobody had any idea what the right move was because it was not something that had ever been done before I mean we're looking at I mean new waters this was a new ocean that had never been explored and you know Elvis and Colonel Parker you know were at the helm of the boat and they didn't know where to steer they didn't know where to go they didn't know what to do he was just you know looking at what made money and that's what he went with and it wasn't always the right call, like all the movies and soundtracks, because it kind of makes you know Elvis in hindsight. It kind of makes him look self-centered, yeah. kind of like because yeah. he's not a great actor, but he was Elvis, and Elvis yeah sold money. I mean, half the population was obsessed with him. Yeah, and then some of the men. <laughs> well, after this movie, around the end of the year, December the fourth, he stops by Sun Studio. This is the time. This is the monumental photo that was taken because Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Johnny Cash were all at the studio. So they had this little jam session, and this was known as the Million Dollar Quartet because Sam left the tapes recording. Yeah. So if you get on the Internet and you type in the Million Dollar Quartet, you will never see something as great as that photo of all four of them in the same room at the same time. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. It's kind of like some of those, you know, all-star groups that they came up with, like the Traveling Wheelberries. Yeah. Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, all them. Uh, Yeah, some of those, just like an all-star group, basically. Yeah. You know, the Highwaymen. 
Yes. You know, if you want to get yes. in the country, look at that. Look Absolutely. Right out of country reference. You know, you don't really have that today. Like, Miranda tried to do that with the pistol hannies, yeah. but it didn't really gain the traction that it should have. You know, I actually heard a song by the Highway Women. Really? Oh, my Lord. Dude, it was... It almost brings a tear to your eye. I'll have to check beautiful. that out. Beautiful. Yeah, you'll have to find that song. Beautiful. So the year ends, Presley made $22 million on merch, which is insane in 1956. Presley created over 50% of RCA Records' income was because they had Elvis. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Honestly, let's you know, think about. It. Do you see Elvis, you know, like in the <clears throat> today's life anywhere in advertisements and stuff? I do. Of course, you're bald. I have hair gel, or oh, like you think paste. he would have done like a hair commercial? He's, his face is on something that is sold today. Really? Yeah. Which one? It's it's called Crew is the brand. He's oh. on. It's like a little, oh, with little, the hair coming up in the front. Yeah, a little, well, I mean, it's just a little hair paste, but his his face is on it. Really? He's a part of their advertisement. Wow. He's a part of their labeling. Can you imagine being gone that long and yeah. still? He's, I mean, somebody's getting a check from that. He's been gone 45 years, and he's still being used to advertise things. Wow. Because he was that big of a flame. Absolutely. So, here we are, 1957, March 19th. Presley's draft card, 1A, is granted. Also is the same time frame that he bought Graceland for $102,500. I mean, nowadays, that's nothing. But back then, that was probably a million dollars back then. Every bit of it. That was more than that. This is also the time that fans get ready to go even more crazy as he shoots and films and releases Jailhouse Rock. I mean, another great crazy song. He was also known on this set, multiple people said, Elvis could get a demo and within 10 minutes he would know the song. Which, Which... in all reality, too, back then, it wasn't the way it is now. You know, you didn't have 15, 20 instruments playing on a song. You no. know, you had your guitar, the bass, and the drums. It was a lot more simple at that it, time. It was, but without, you know, I still think that, I don't know. If they would have found Elvis today, do you think he would be as big as he was? No. Because there's too much. There's just too much out there. That does make sense. Yeah, I mean, he might. He had talent. Don't get me wrong. He had talent. He was yeah, different, and that's what set him apart. That's what made him. There was such, nobody even close to no, him during there was that time. Nobody like that. But yeah. now, there's a lot of people. Yeah, he had. I'm not going to sit here and say that he wouldn't be famous. He probably still would be famous, but he wouldn't be like he is. No. So during this time, there was a show in Philly where the Fans, which turned out to be teenage boys again, covered the stage with eggs. They threw eggs at Elvis. The next night in Vancouver, after the show, the fans rushed the stage and destroyed every single thing. 
Frank Sinatra made a remark that Presley doesn't stand for our music. Presley said in a comment back to it, I understand what he said and he has the right to say it, but I wish he didn't. He's just buying on to another trend that was started previous before. December 20th, he is drafted. And it's kind of crazy how this happened because March 24, 1958, he enters the Army. As he's doing so, a hundred people show up with cameras. They were looking for that monumental shot for him to get off the bus. Yes, he is joining the Army. He's going to be shot at, and people are kind of worried that they may lose Elvis. And he made the comment, I'm here, and the Army can do whatever they want to do with me. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't scared to do it. He trained for two weeks in Texas. And then at this time is when things really took a turn for the worst. His mother got sick. He got an emergency leave. He went home. Two days later, his mom dies at 48, and Presley was devastated. She got sick with worry, and she turned to alcohol. She became an alcoholic. She drank herself to death, basically. She was worried to death about Elvis. Yeah. Because, I mean, Elvis is basically all that she had. That's all she had. Yeah. That was it. Like that's that's all she had, and that's all she really truly cared about. She was with her husband, but I mean, let's face it, he you know wasn't always the best human. You know, he didn't always make the right decision. He didn't always have her best interests in mind. But Elvis, Elvis always had his mother in his heart and in his mind, and he would never do anything to hurt her. And she knew that. And when he got sent to Germany, he... Uh, Which was October 1st. Yeah. That's when he arrives in Germany. It killed her. Yeah. And he gave all of his money that he earned from the Army to charity. He also bought TV for bases, and he also paid for all of his group to have an extra uniform. And a lot of people thought, well... He's just going over there. He's not going to be able to be in the mist like everyone else. But right. he was trained to drive a tank. Yeah. I mean, had something broke out, he was prepared. He was not hid in a closet right. like people think. And the, all that was decided upon by him and his manager. He wanted to become the most likable version of himself because yeah. he was worried about everybody saying, like the whole thing with yeah, Frank Sinatra saying that he's not like us. Um, he was worried about his perception. So he discussed it with his manager, you know, Colonel Parker. They decided that that's what he needed to do. He needed to go in just like a regular soldier. He didn't want special treatment. He didn't want any of that. And if something was to happen, he was afraid he was going to lose all his fans while he was gone. Yeah. Around this time is when he meets 14-year-old Priscilla. Do you have a little info on when he met her? I got all the info about how he met her. Okay, do we so. want to finish this part and then come back to that? We can, yeah. So, no. just keep in mind, he meets her at 14. Mm-hmm. March 1960, he returns back to the U.S. The train that carried him from New Jersey to Tennessee was mobbed the entire way by fans, paparazzis at that time. They just wanted to get a glimpse of Elvis. He appeared eight minutes on a show um, that kind of like benefited 
benefit concerts when he come back. That eight minute fee was a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. March twenty fifth would be his last concert for the next seven years. And my grandmother, when we were talking about this, she said that this was the only time that her and her mother got into an argument was because she wanted to go stay with a friend in Louisville, Kentucky to see Elvis as he comes to do one of his shows. And her mother's like, are you crazy? You are not going all the way to Louisville to stay with somebody so you can go see Elvis. But it's crazy that my grandmother remembers that one story. This is kind of when he gets lost in Hollywood. Like we said, he done 27 films, 11 or 16 uh, soundtracks. Around this time, it puts us at 1966 as, well, he met Priscilla when she was 14, but he didn't propose to her until 1966. Oh, yeah. There's a lot in between there. So... At the age of 14, Priscilla was brought to Elvis by one of Elvis's uh, friends in the Army. Um, so Elvis got lonely while he was in Germany, and he had a whole ton of you know, <clears throat> yes-men around him. Anything Elvis wanted, he got yeah. while he was over there. Everything. He wanted you know, women to talk to. Sometimes they would talk. Sometimes they would not. <laughs> yeah. But Priscilla, she still swore. I don't know if she's alive still. She, she is. She is. Yeah. Okay. She's yeah, still swears to this day that they never had intercourse until they were married. And it, it wasn't because she didn't want to. It was because Elvis wanted her to be pure. There are a lot of, there are a lot of things about Elvis that, are hard to understand and that are you know kind of awkward about him he uh he had an idea of what his perfect woman would be and that's what he wanted to do with priscilla he wanted to mold her into that she exactly. was in germany because her father was in the military as well so you know <clears throat> she lived there on the base with her family yeah her family was extremely protective but nowadays, do you think that it would be cool for a 24-year-old to be talking to a 14-year-old? No, it would never happen. Absolutely. I, I know. No, and it would I never mean, happen. But then you look at, like, Jerry Lee Lewis, well, who married his cousin, his cousin yeah. who was also 13. I mean. Yeah. That'll be from Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if there's anybody out there from Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like West Virginia. So he molded her <laughs> into this. But yeah. at the same time. You can't tell me he wasn't hooking up with groupies. Oh, yeah. All before. the time. All the time. Yeah, he committed his forever mm-hmm. love to he her. He did it all the time. He uh, wouldn't see her every night. He would see her about every two or three nights. Very awkward relationship. But now, yeah. folks. You got to think about it. A lot of celebrities do that. Yeah. To he, an extent. He's the most eligible bachelor in the universe. So why would they marry? That would be an awful marketing no, scheme they if he was marry. married. Yeah, no, that's you're not getting it. They couldn't marry at the time. She was 14. Well, I know that, but I'm saying also, as a record label standpoint, had yeah. he been married, don't yeah. you think that it would have made girls feel like, oh, we can, we couldn't mm-hmm. marry him someday because he's already married. It would, yeah, take away that's a lot I of the meant. fanfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so the whole thing... 
excuse me, with uh, Priscilla. She she you know, started off, you know, of course she was a fan of Elvis. Everybody was a fan of Elvis at the time. But she just always assumed, you know, she was just another girl. She didn't yeah. really see herself as, like, special. But, you know, Elvis, you know, seen her in a total you know, different way. She would go to parties that Elvis would have there you know, in Germany. And uh, she would go. And there would be... Yeah, ten or twenty other you know, women that were there, like you know, grown women. You know, Elvis would, would walk up to her. He'd say, right, "Go up to my room. I'll be there in a little while." Sometimes she would have to wait three hours, you know, for him to come up the steps. To go, because he just wanted to talk to her. Wow. Now, I think at some point they had done everything except for have intercourse. Yeah, but it's because she was just yeah <clears throat> begging him to do it. But on the nights that she, yeah, didn't go see him, he was with all kinds of other women. You know, yeah. he he sowed his oats, but he made sure that they didn't have any children. You know, they always used protection because he did not want that. Because at that time, if you had a child out of wedlock, you were shunned. Yeah, like you you were seen as garbage. Right. Um, if it was public, so I'm gonna skip the whole time when they're. Like, he comes back to the, you know, States, and she turns 18 in May. But at the time, she still lived in Germany. He was flying her over every so often. Like, it was like every six months. He was flying her over. He would take her shopping. They would go to Las Vegas. They would go to Memphis. They would go to L.A., they would do whatever he wanted to do. He was buying right. all his clothes. He was fixing up her makeup. He, you know, I dyed her brown hair black because his ideal woman had blue eyes and black hair. Wow. Talk but, about, yeah, exactly. Yeah, really weird. Yeah, like, but they had to be so-so. They had to wear their makeup a certain way. They had to dress a certain way. And she was wearing clothes that she would have never you know, worn otherwise. But when she came back to Germany... Her parents got really concerned because, you know, this is not the same girl. You know, she's completely different than she was. Right. So she had to beg them every time Elvis had asked. And he would go months and, you know, she hadn't heard from him like in you know, months. And then she would, he would call. She would write letters every day and every now and then he would call. But then he waited. He waited till she was a legal adult. Yeah. And then at the age of 21, actually, I think she was 20 when they got engaged. He asked her to marry him. Of course, she naturally said yes. She was ecstatic. She is getting to live out every girl's fantasy to marry Elvis Presley. Yeah, yeah. So on May the 1st, 1967, that's Elvis Aaron Presley and Priscilla Ann... Bulao were married. She's age 21. She designed her own gown. She bought it from a uh, just a regular shop that anybody could go to. Like it was a pretty inexpensive gown, but she made alterations, you know, <clears throat> herself. Or you know, she designed the alterations that she had done. Uh, the best men. Uh, there's actually a book all wrote about the wedding 
it was by Elvis's longtime friend George Klein. Uh, let's see, uh, Marty Lacker and Joe Esposito were the uh, co-best men. They were uh, quote unquote members of the Memphis Mafia. Okay. Um, Michelle Bilal, uh, Priscilla's little sister, was the maid of honor. At three thirty a.m. Uh, friends accompanied them to the county courthouse to get a marriage license at 3.30 in the morning. Wow. <laughs> so that's in a, uh, they exchanged vows at 9 a.m. So is this why we have, like, how did the Elvis, like, the Elvis Chapel in Vegas, is that like an attraction or is that a little bit of history of what happened? Like, it was so abrupt or... I mean, do you know anything about that? Because the way he got married, it was a, yeah, a new style of getting married. Like, on a whim is what it looked like. Although, you know, his wasn't like that. His wasn't on a whim. He had spent many nights thinking about it. Yeah. Because he had been molding her into the exact woman that he wanted her to be. So, I think that that's where it stems from. It stems yeah. from everybody's seeing how he got married to Priscilla and they're like, well, okay, that's, that's how I'll, if it, yeah. yeah, if that's what Elvis did, that's what I'm going to do. So it kind of stemmed and now it's a huge market. Like you see you, all these Elvis impersonators marrying exactly. every day. It's wild, yeah. but still going on to this day in Las Vegas. It's not as popular now as it used to be, but it still is popular. Uh, so they exchanged vows at 9am in a short little you know, <clears throat> intimate Ceremony at the Aladdin Hotel in Las Vegas. Um, do you want to guess how long the, uh, the the ceremony lasted? Fifteen minutes. Oh no, it's way too long. Re- Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it lasted eight minutes to the King of Rock and Roll. Eight minutes. Wow. And he would not allow in their vows for the word "obey" to be used. That's kind of respectful. Not in the vows. <laughs> But I don't understand that because yeah. she had to obey him. But right. Uh, so the wedding cake consisted of uh, six tiers of yellow sponge cake. That's uh, a big cake. Yeah, it's gigantic. Uh, yeah, filled with apricot, uh, marmalade, and liqueur flavored cream. Do you want? I've never tried that. Do you want to take a a stab at the price? There uh, probably. I'm. I'm just gonna say. Around that time, twenty five thousand. Uh, that's close to. That's close to like a. Uh, yeah, current day price. It was uh thirty two hundred at the time. Thirty two hundred, which okay. equates now to twenty two thousand. Right, right, right. So yeah, okay. Um, the reception was a ten thousand dollar breakfast buffet. Wow. That had lobster and crab and oysters and <laughs> chicken. And He's going all out. Oh, yeah. He went all out. Yeah. So, uh, Colonel Parker's seen, you know, the wedding as a, uh, you know, a publicity opportunity. Absolutely. You know, he wanted, to, he wanted to, uh, to, you know, maximize all of it. Because now he wanted to show that Elvis, you know, not only was a, a faithful you know, man in a dream boat, he wanted to show the world that Elvis was mature yeah. and that Elvis was going to be there for the long haul and that he had his beautiful bride, Priscilla, and she was loved by many. Like, he wanted 
he wanted all spotlights to be put on them. He scheduled a press conference between the ceremony and the reception. So they, <laughs> after they got done exchanging vows, they went and answered questions from the press. I mean, he he's really um, utilizing every moment. Yeah, of this. I mean, let's be honest. If I did that, oh, oh my yeah. wife would be so pissed. Oh yeah. Like, well, I, don't, I don't care about these questions. Yeah. I don't care about these This is my day. Yeah. 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 Talking about that. a bridezilla, it would have been awful. <laughs> so, and actually, Frank Sinatra, you mentioned him earlier. Yeah. They used his private jet to fly to their honeymoon. Yeah. They went to Palm Springs, which at the time was a huge honeymoon destination because they really hadn't started traveling to islands and stuff yet. But, right. Well, um, you know, if if you're ever in Graceland, did you go on the plane across the street? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. You can do that too, folks. You can go on the plane that he named after. Yeah, it was really cool. So, uh, a little information on the cake. It took 20 pounds of uh, Crisco to make it. Wow. <laughs> the engagement ring had 20 diamonds. There are 3.5 carats. And Elvis had a matching ring. Huh. Made, they were made by the same jeweler. Wonder how much that was. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see. They the, didn't say the, the price, price on that. Uh. Uh-uh. Probably priceless. Yeah, his hair was perfect on that, and every day it was it was perfect. Uh, yeah. He had a small wire that was <laughs> placed in his hair to hold it in place. Are you serious? Yeah, in his pompadour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what their wedding song was? What's that? I have no clue. Love me tender. Are you serious? Tender. Yep. Yep, that was it. What? Now, did he sing at his own wedding? I, I don't think so. Really? Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't either. No. You know? That's a little. That's a lot self-centered. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little too much. You know, there's some TikTok videos where, like, the bride or the groom will come down singing to you. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I get it, but... I also see that point of view, too, that it's a little too much. So, on their honeymoon, he finally got to deflower her. He He had groomed her for seven years to get to this moment. Yeah. He gets her. He makes it, he makes it count. Yeah. Nine months to the day later. That's Here when Lisa, Lisa Marie. Marie. Wow. The wedding was on May the 1st. She was born February 1st. Exactly nine months. <laughs> 1968. So, like, I think a, a mental part of him, kind of like as we get to with the drugs, mm-hmm. you know, he, he really feels like, well, if I do this, I'll be forgiven for this. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of us are that away. Yeah. We feel like if we put extra in the offering plate, you know. Yeah. Lord will forgive us, yeah. but you know, I I think he was mentally misunderstood a lot. I I think he was mentally troubled. Yeah, he was so troubled. Um, and actually, the drugs had started, you know, before he went to Germany. Right. He'd started taking you know, uppers and downers because yeah. he couldn't sleep. He was he was always tired, so he'd take uppers, and then he's always wired, and he would have to take sleeping pills to come down. He had started giving those to you know, Priscilla when she was 14. Oh, my God. But she wouldn't take them. Yeah. I mean, he would keep her up all night just talking. She'd be so tired the next day at school, she wouldn't have the energy to do anything. And she was not doing good in school because of that. Yeah. 
so he was giving her all these uppers and yeah, downers and everything. He was telling her exactly when to take them and all this. So uh, when it came time, when she got pregnant, they were, you know, Elvis was ecstatic. He was so happy that she was pregnant. But uh, Priscilla, she didn't want to be pregnant at that time. She wanted to have fun. She wanted right. to live their life. She wanted to experience things before they brought a child in. And she was scared to death that if she had a child, you know, Elvis wouldn't find her attractive anymore. Wow. Because he always made comments of how every time a woman has a child, they let herself go. And they don't care about their appearance anymore. So that so, had to drive her teenage, young, early mind berserk. Yeah. She was extremely dedicated to fitness. She was scared to death that Elvis was going to stop liking her. He going to start yeah, loving her, and that he wouldn't be attracted to her. And I think everybody knows what Priscilla looks like. Oh, yeah. She's still a pretty lady. Still, to this but day, at yeah. at that time, she was a smoke show. Yeah. Like, she was beautiful. Beautiful. Great shape. Um, But, you know, Elvis, he had in his mind the example of a perfect woman and he he actually told her this is a little yeah, later on this is uh, skipping forward a little bit but he told her he could never be attracted to a woman who had a child really yeah even her as soon as she had Lisa Marie I, I think it was years before they had sex again Wow. Yep. He would not touch her. He was get he was he was having sex with a lot of other people. Yeah. Yeah, Priscilla always always stayed faithful. Yeah. Until she didn't. Right. But she had to turn to somebody. Oh yeah. She was doing dance classes. He was gone all the time. He was going on well after nineteen sixty eight, that's when they had the big you know, comeback special. Yes. This show pretty much you know, amped up his entire comeback tour after he was married. He kind of fell off some because he had just been doing the movies. That's all yeah, he Yeah, everybody thought he got lost in Hollywood. Everybody just you know? assumed he was done you know, making music. So in 1968, he comes out. It was you know, supposed to be a you know, Christmas little special for NBC. It was just you know, simply called Elvis. Yeah. Um, it was released on December the 3rd. He played a lot of classics, a few holiday songs, but, you know, mostly, you know, his hits. Yeah. It was in front of a small crowd. And, uh, let's see. And actually, when it was aired, it, on NBC, 42% of the country's population watched it. Wow. When's the last time something like that, that got that, that big of a number? That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> 42%. Stemming from his success of the comeback that he had on NBC, where 42% of the country tuned in to watch him do his thing, you know, because it had been a while since he was you know, performing on stage. So right. It was... It was exciting for all his fans. Of course, I mean, he had a millions and millions and millions of fans. So that was a big time for him. And it was extremely successful. And he took advantage of it. 
the Las Vegas International Hotel hired him to come do a, a residency. He started that in uh, 1969. He signed on to do it in 1968 right after that. Which a lot of people say, I mean, Elvis was Vegas. I mean, he was the main attraction. He was. Yeah, yeah during that time, he, he for sure was. The mafia made Vegas. Right. <laughs> but you know, Elvis ran Vegas yeah. for a few years. So, um, and I mean, he's... If you go to Vegas yeah, today, you still see signs of Elvis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the, the chapels, and yeah. there's always an impersonator yeah, dressed up like him, wearing those huge, flashy yeah, rhinestone suits, yeah, pompadour hair. Oh, yeah. But so he signed on to do the residency, which in his later years, like when you see old Elvis, that's what you see pictures of. You see him on stage. Yeah. And, yeah, so... But, you know, during all this time, his marriage was suffering extremely. Yeah. He kind of distanced himself from uh, Priscilla. He uh, he was still cheating on her. Of course, I mean, I think he always did. But he hadn't you know, been intimate with her in a year, something like that. Eventually, they did have you know, sex again, but... It was after Elvis told her that he could never be attracted to a woman who had had a child. And, I mean, which that, yeah, broke Priscilla's heart because, I mean, Elvis was her dream man and it was her man. And he, she did everything he wanted her to do and it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. Yeah. He wasn't satisfied with it. Well, I mean, that's, you look at, somebody that is the king of rock and roll such a monumental star but when you actually know them in that format kind of makes him sound like a weirdo yeah how can you not be attracted to the woman who gave you your child yeah you know yeah i mean i think it makes him more attractive you know yeah absolutely absolutely but for whatever reason i mean i I, I don't think anybody said you know Elvis was in his right mind. No, <laughs> he he had how problems. could he be? He had problems. He had so many demons. This man was uh, he was a tortured soul for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah. All right. During all this time, you know, Priscilla was trying to stay in in shape. She was doing up to four you know, dance classes a day, and for hours at a time just to stay in shape and at Elvis's uh, suggestion she started doing karate that's where he found his love for it yeah he I mean he he'd been doing karate for years at that point but she hadn't he told her she needed to you know start you know trying to branch out and learn things and you know find something he loved you know karate because it just gave him like you know, peace of mind, I guess. I yeah. don't know if it was like uh, a sense of you know, belonging. So she joined a, a dojo with uh, the instructor, is Mike Stone. Now this is big because up to this point, Priscilla had maintained her uh, faithfulness. She never cheated on Elvis until she met Mike Stone. Okay, so Mike Stone. I mean, have you seen a photo of Mike Stone? I I've mean, this. Not. I've not, but I mean, evidently he had moves on the on the mat. 
Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. This is probably the first time that she's had another male be close to her that wasn't a part of Elvis's team, obviously. Right. Everything she did yeah. was controlled by Elvis. And But when she went to the karate dojo, he respected the karate dojo. Oh, Lord. Because he respected karate. So it was the one place he wasn't expecting her to get chopped. But wait a minute, though. <laughs> Could you, if you were the instructor, mm-hmm. and you're working out with Elvis's wife, would mm-hmm. that not make you intimidated? I mean, he's the king of rock and roll. I mean, if you're an instructor at a, at a karate dojo at that time, you're probably not scared. You're going to take care of yourself, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, what, what's Elvis going to do? Right. Gonna, that, I gonna, see gonna, that. going to bring his hair down? That's true. <laughs> Come That's get true. you some, king. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how long does this relationship last? Uh, it went on for a while, but um, I don't know the exact amount of time, but I do know when they finally decided they needed to get a a divorce um, which was in uh, 1972 it was after Elvis had, had, had told her that you know he just could not you know, do it he wasn't attracted to her anymore yeah um, so this was in 1971 when she had the affair with Mike Stone um, after the divorce she moved in with Mike Stone and it was a big, uh, yeah, a big relationship, and that was—I mean—it was good for her because she was actually getting to experience a relationship with a man that was there. Right. Elvis was always gone. Yeah, he was always gone. He was always you know, leaving her with her, with, you know, with his dad, with his friends at his house. She had no control of her own life. She had to obey. They right. wasn't used in their in their vows, but she had to obey his wishes. Yeah. So. It was good for her though. I mean, she got to, she got to actually let her hair down and get wrapped up on the mat. But uh, so we're gonna play a song that came out around this time. Uh, yeah, come back to her. One of his yeah best songs, I think. All right, here Good. we go with "Suspicious Mind." We're caught in a trap. Can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Why can't you see what you're doing to me when you don't believe a word I say? At this time, he is uh, doing his residency there at the Las Vegas International Hotel. He was making a million dollars a year for doing this residency. Um, he had went, let's see, in November of 1971, I believe, uh, he went on his uh, final non-concert, oh, his uh, uh, final non-concert film opened. It's called uh, Change of Habit. Um, also in November he released from uh, Memphis to Vegas from Vegas to Memphis the double album it was a lot of live performance material from his time at the hotel and also 
yeah, some time on the road. Um, and that's when yeah, that song, Suspicious Minds, hit number one on the pop chart. His uh, first number one since 1962, and it would prove to be his last number really? one, Suspicious Minds. So that was mm-hmm. the last number yeah. one that Elvis ever had. That was it. And it's kind of fitting because nobody had a more suspicious mind than Elvis. He always assumed somebody had. He was kind of a conspiracy person himself. He always assumed that everybody was out to get him. Yeah. Um, He only trusted the ones in his small circle. He had, in like 1970, he received a ton of death threats while he was on tour. He started packing a Derringer pistol in his right boot and a forty-five in his waistband on stage every time he would perform. Well, I mean, if you think about it, forever, there's always been somebody wanting to whoop his ass. Yeah. I'm yeah. surprised he wasn't packing sooner than that. Yeah, everybody's jealous. That's just when it was, you know, announced, I guess. I mean, could you imagine being hated for just doing what you do? Yeah. For, I mean, if you don't like it, don't come. I mean, it's hard to look pretty. I've been living with it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's it more works. like it. That button works. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Also in 1970, on uh, December 21st, he met President Tricky Dick Nixon at the White House and received a badge, an honorary badge, from the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. <laughs> See, that kinda, somebody really messed that one up. Uh, yeah, it, but it yeah you know, really goes to show you, you know, Elvis's mindset on what he was doing. Everything he got, he got from a doctor, so he didn't see it as drug use. No, he seen it as he was supposed to be taking that. Yeah, the uppers to stay up and be energetic, the sleeping pills to be able to sleep. Everything he did in his life had a pill associated with it yeah and i mean he didn't buy it in a back alley or no. on a street corner a he hired a doctor to right. write him a prescription for whatever he wanted yep and he was always on top of all of the you know, <clears throat> uh, you know, news he knew all the new drugs that hit the market he knew exactly what they did how long they lasted yeah what the side effects were yeah he was all he's a small he's a street pharmacist basically yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah so it was i mean he was really smart when it came to that but he didn't realize that it was extremely dangerous because at that time i mean yeah smoking was seen as you know cool yeah it wasn't yeah. that's when it, the news anchors smoked on tv <laughs> yeah yeah that's when you could smoke on airplanes and everywhere everywhere there was yeah cigarettes lit because it was okay it, it wasn't harmful according to them yeah. Now we've you know, since found out that you know, big tobacco knew that it caused cancer in the 40s, and they didn't say anything about it because they lose money if, if uh, people quit smoking. So yeah. that's a whole other story. But in, uh, on the time when he was at the White House, he told President Nixon he viewed the Beatles as anti-American uh, because... It was the British invasion, and everybody kind of went to the Beatles like, you know, the next big thing. They were the new Elvis. Yeah. And they were the cool thing. And I think he was kind of scared about it because that you know, meant he wasn't on top. Yeah. But uh, I think he was 
you know, intimidated by it as well because, I mean, they are talented, extremely talented. Yeah. And everybody's seen it. Everybody loved him. And they weren't all good-looking, so all the men didn't hate him. That's <laughs> you know? true. You know. And, yeah, but they weren't you know, ugly either, so the girls liked them. They swooned over them just as well as the guys did. Yeah. I think that's that's part of Elvis's problem. He was always yeah too handsome. Oh, yeah. It was too unreal. Yeah. And, like, I'll be honest with you. I'm sure the Beatles have some great music, but if I had to pick one to listen to for the rest of my life, it would be Elvis over the Beatles, in my opinion. It's kind of funny. Some of their songs overlap. Yeah. Yeah, they redid some songs of each other's. And uh, I heard a rendition of, you know, of Elvis singing Hey Jude. And, I mean, it was, it was cool. It, it's not as good as the Beatles, but it was, I mean, it was it was cool. It, you know, like to hear that voice in behind it, it was it was entertaining for sure. Um, I would pick the Beatles, just because they have, yeah, believe it or not, at the end of the day, they have more songs. Oh yeah, <laughs> than Elvis. Elvis had a ton. Oh yeah, I mean both but the of Beatles them had a shit ton. There's there's no <laughs> like if you it would be impossible yeah. for us to mention every single song that Elvis ever had. Yeah. We would be reading for uh, a month, probably. It would be like reading a phone book. Yeah, it would. You know? Um, so, in 1970, for Christmas, he decided he's going to buy himself 32 handguns and 10 Mercedes cars. <laughs> that's huh. what he wanted for Christmas that year. So, yeah, that's what he got. Uh, just kind of skipping through, he went on yeah, a few tours, had a few concerts, a bunch of random places. He felt more threatened everywhere he went. Um, he was you know, getting all kinds of death threats. Still, at this point, he's divorced. Um, he is out doing his own thing. He had started dating a girl named uh, <clears throat> Ginger. You know, I think Alden is how you, you know, pronounce her last name. Um, she started living at Graceland with him, and uh, this was... You know, all during the downtime, he became so yeah self wallowing, and I, I think he was just completely depressed, and oh, he, yeah. he didn't want he didn't want to go on. Like if he wasn't on top, it was like he he didn't want to live at all. Yeah. So this is around 1975. He would snack at night on what they call you know, a fool's gold loaf. Do you have any idea what that is? I have no clue. Okay. This is, it actually, I don't I don't know about some of it, but I'm hungry right now, so it kind of makes me. Yeah. But, so, you take an entire loaf of bread. It's got to be white bread. Okay. Entire loaf of white bread. You hollow it out in the middle. Except okay. for on the ends, you know, the hills. Yeah. I call it the hole. Because right. everybody touch it, but don't nobody want it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. in the middle. Yeah. You put peanut butter, you put jelly, and you put bacon, and then you drop it in a deep fryer and deep fry it. Wow. Yeah. Now, a standard you know, diet for a normal human being is around 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day. Yeah. You know how much, how many calories are one in one of these fool's gold loaves? There's no telling. 8,000. Oh, my gosh. 8,000 calories. 
That is insane. He would put two of them down. Two a day? At night. It wasn't every day, but there were many nights he would eat two of them. That is insane. Yeah, he was, at this time, he was overweight. He was so unhealthy. He was constantly sick just because he was putting his body through hell. He wasn't showering. He wasn't bathing. He kind of let himself go. He would get so mad watching TV. He would shoot his TVs with his guns. Wow. He would just pick up a gun and shoot his TV. Um, He put a bullet hole in the wall next to Ginger's head. At the time, she was 21 years old. Of course. Yeah. Like, always had to be the young girl. Always had to be a young girl. Yeah, couldn't be... You know, somebody that was a little older. Um, so she, he shot the wall right next to her head because she had told him he needed to quit eating. <laughs> <laughs> Hell if I will. I mean, if yeah. I if I was to tell my wife that, she would shoot me, I'm sure. Yeah, give me a bologna sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get that out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know. Um, so, all this comes to the end. August the 16th, 1977. Elvis Aaron Presley passed away. He told Ginger he was going to use the bathroom to read. And that was the last words he ever spoke to another human. Yeah. And he, and here is the actual audio interview of someone who was at the scene that day. Set the record straight on Elvis's passing away. <clears throat> August 16, 1977. We were getting ready to go on tour. That evening we were supposed to fly to Portland, Maine. I was there at the house in the afternoon around 2 o'clock. Al Strada... His wardrobe man was there packing the wardrobe cases. I was down there on the phone talking to different people, making arrangements for the flight crew to fly out that evening. Phone call comes from upstairs on the intercom. And, and Ginger called down and uh, talked to the maid. She says, is anybody down there? So Al is right here. So she hands the phone to Al Strada. She says, Al, come upstairs. Elvis has fainted. Al runs upstairs. And he calls down with great cuts, calls me, he says, Joe, come up here, I need you right away. So I ran upstairs, I go into the bathroom, and I see Elvis on the floor. Uh, he, was sitting, he fell off from, from the, the commode. Uh, his face was buried under the carpeting, and I bent down real quick, and I touched him, and uh, I could, he was, Rigor Morris had set in. And... Uh, so I turned him over real quick. I pulled up his pajamas bottoms. I turned him over and laid down. And uh, I heard a little breath of air come out of his lungs. So I thought maybe there was a, he was, he was going to be okay, but I just didn't feel comfortable about it. Grab the phone real quick. There's a phone on the wall right next to the commode. And I called 911, and uh, I said, we need an ambulance at Graceland. We should get somebody real quick. And then Al picked up the phone and tried to get Dr. Nick while I was trying to I know there's a there's a story that says I gave Elvis mouth to mouth resuscitation. I did not give Elvis mouth to mouth resuscitation, or you couldn't. His mouth was closed shut. And there's no way I could open his mouth, so but I did 
tried to massage on his heart. At that point, uh, things were starting to happen. Uh, Vernon was in the office. He came up to the to the bathroom. He came in and he started, you know, saying, "Elvis, Elvis, you know, don't don't leave us, you know, just hang in there." And and then Ginger was there, and Lisa Marie was at Graceland at the time. Lisa came running around, and Ginger was she's standing there too. And I asked Ginger, "Please get Lisa out of here." And uh, we're waiting for the ambulance to show up. And meanwhile. Uh, uh, Al got a hold of Dr. Nick. Uh, he was on his way to, to, to Graceland. Uh, the ambulance shows up. It seemed like it took forever for the ambulance to get there. The, the guys came up, and uh, they started lifting Elvis up and got him on the stretcher. We went out the back, out the front door, rather, took Elvis into the stretcher, um, got him in the back of the ambulance. Just as we got out there, uh, Dr. Nick pulled up. He jumped out of his car, jumped in the back of the ambulance, and it was Charlie Hodge, Dr. Nick, and myself went to the hospital with Elvis. Uh, we got to the Baptist Memorial Hospital. The ride to the, to the hospital seemed like it took forever, too, and Dr. Nick was trying to talk to Elvis, so he would stay, hang in there, and he had the, whatever that bottle is, with the oxygen over his mouth, hoping that could revive him. Um, uh, got to the hospital, uh, the emergency room people were waiting for us when we got there, uh, took him on, on a stretcher and took him into the emergency room real quick, and they stopped me and uh, Charlie from coming in there. Dr. Nick went in there, and they escorted Charlie and I to another room. Meanwhile, all, I guess, all hell was breaking loose in different parts, and the rumors were getting around, and uh, Elvis's cousin, Billy Smith, came to the hospital, uh, met me there. Um, uh, I don't even remember who else showed up. And they took us in the room. We were sitting there waiting to find out what was going on. And about 20 minutes later, Dr. Nick came into the, into the room where we were. And he walked and he said, Elvis is gone. And uh, it was hard. And uh, the PR guy from the hospital uh, wanted to know if I want to make the announcement to the press. Uh, I said, I'll try. But meanwhile, uh, Dr. Nick said, don't say anything to anybody yet. I'm going to go back to the house and tell Vernon before he hears it on the news. So he, the police department was there, and they took Dr. Nick out to the hospital, out to the house. And uh, meanwhile, I got on the phone and called uh, Priscilla to tell her that uh, Elvis is gone. And uh, she wasn't home at the time. I got a hold of her sister, Michelle. Michelle uh, said, uh, what's wrong? And I said, I got to talk to Priscilla. And just so happened, Priscilla came in the house at the time, and I told her what happened. And she went hysterical. And she said, how's Lisa? How's Lisa? I said, Lisa's fine. You know, don't worry about that. And so I'll make arrangements that the plane come out and get you. And uh, then I called Colonel Parker in Portland, Maine, and got him on the phone and told him what happened. And he sort of didn't know what to say. He was in shock at the time. He said, okay, do what you have to do. I'll be there this evening. And uh, at that point, uh, press was all starting to show up. The rumors were getting around. Newspapers were showing up, and radio stations were announcing Elvis is in the hospital. And uh, I just couldn't make, I couldn't go out and talk to the press, so I had the PR guy from the hospital talk to him. Uh, he made the announcement to them that Elvis had passed away of a heart attack. Charlie and Billy and I all hugged each other and uh, had the police department, one of the police department men took us back to the house, Graceland, 
just wanted to uh, emote to help him. I went and saw Vernon, talked to him, and I told him, is there anything you need? We're here to help you. We all got together and figured out how to make arrangements for this, uh, for Elvis's uh, funeral. And we just did it. It was a lot of work. Phone calls were coming in from around the world. Uh, and Margaret called. She was playing Vegas at the time. And uh, she wanted to come. And I said, well, you know, it's going to be a mess here. And she says, I'm going to come anyhow. So her and Roger Smith came. And George Hamilton showed up. And a lot of the other people who just said, just don't come. It's going to be too hectic. And we started making arrangements. And Vernon uh, asked me if we could get all white limousines for the funeral, because Elvis loved white. The Memphis funeral home, the people came out and saw us. And Vernon wanted the same casket that he had for Elvis's mother, Gladys. Same casket for Elvis. I have to give those people credit. They, they really did a good job, because it was made of solid copper. And uh, it weighed a ton. They had to fly it in from another state. They got all these limousines from different states around. We all just worked together and did it. It took me about three months after Elvis was gone to realize he was gone. You know, I just, we, we did what we had to do for his sake. Uh, the procession of the people coming in through the house was just unbelievable. These people were crying, they were fainting. Uh, it was tough, but we did it. And uh, I think uh, Elvis was pretty proud of the way it was handled. And that right there was some audio of someone who lived it. As he said, you know, he was there the moment that they found Elvis and all the way to the moment that they put him in the ground. Yeah, that was from uh, Joe Esposito. He, if you remember, he was one of the co-best men at the wedding, and he was a member of the uh, <clears throat> Memphis Mafia, which I think was just a little, little you know, club-slash-group that, you know, a bunch of you know, up-and-coming you know, guys from uh, uh, Memphis were in. Yeah. It's uh, you can hear the emotion in his voice. That was a very good interview. That's why we left it all in there for you, so you could hear it. Just uh, yeah, kind of paint the picture of you know, exactly what all happened. Um, you know, during that during that sad time in uh, 1977. Um, I couldn't imagine being there. I no. just I couldn't. You know, you it wouldn't of, seem real. No, if you were one of those yeah people who was in his circle. You were kind of rooting for your, him. Your entire world died on that day. You know, and I also seen another interview where multiple people had been asked, if he has this big group of people around him, why did nobody say nothing? Why did nobody stand up and say, hey, you got a problem? Hey, you're overeating? Here's the reason. Because Elvis did what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't matter who told him what. He was the king. He envisualized that in his mind. And there was nothing that was going to change him. He knew I mean, what he wanted. if he's going to shoot a hole in the wall over eating, mm-hmm. just imagine what he would have done if you would have tried to take his medicine. Yep. Because in his mind, he was taking what the doctor prescribed him to take. Right. You know? He's seen everything he did as right. And uh, he knew what he wanted. And that's why he'd been so successful, so he could have that life where he did what he wanted without being told no, you can't do that. You don't need to do this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He wanted to control every aspect of his life, and he did. And it was his you know, demise, ultimately. Supposedly, I mean, there are some you know, controversies that he's he's he didn't die that day. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, yeah, I'm not going to address any of that. I will say in uh, 
2018, President uh, Donald Trump awarded Elvis Aaron Presley with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Posthumously. Yeah. He uh, he decided to award him with that. That's that's one of the highest awards you can receive. Uh, which I mean, Elvis received yeah lifetime achievement awards from all kinds of you know associations and uh, and whatnot. It was uh, he was a star that shined as bright as a star could possibly shine. Oh, Eventually, yeah, the star has to fall. That's that's the nature of it. Yeah. Um. But there's only one other thing that I wanted to touch on. And I think it's got, I listened to a, a podcast, and this man, he's extremely smart. He goes into great, great yeah, detail on everything that he talks on. His name's Malcolm Gladwell. The podcast is called Analysis, yeah, Parapraxis, uh, Elvis. He had a song. It was a song that he couldn't sing. And I think it's because it meant way too much you know, to him. It's It was called Are You Lonesome Tonight? That's the name of the song. Here it is. Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me? Are you sorry we drifted apart? Does your memory stray to a bright summer day when I kissed you and called you sweetheart? Do the chairs in your parlor seem empty and bare? Do you gaze at your... Fill with pain. It's all the, 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 the part that's saying he always performed it flawlessly but for years there's a spoken word part it's coming up in just a minute he could not could not do it he screwed it up every time it's this part right here you know someone said that the world's a stage each must play a part fate had me playing in love with you as my sweetheart act one was where we met I loved you at first glance. You read your lines so cleverly and never missed a cue. Then came act two. You seemed to change. You acted strange. And why, I've never known. There's some speculation whether or not this song is about Priscilla or it's about his mother even. And... But I'd rather go it's on asking, are you lonesome tonight? But really, it's saying he's lonesome. And anytime he tried to record this song after you know the original you know, release, 
emptiness all it's, around. It's you know, speculated, you know, <clears throat> widely that every time he did the spoken word part of it, it hit him so hard emotionally that he could not. He would forget the words. Yeah. He would uh, say the wrong words. He would, yeah, you know, make up new lines. He would forget when to talk. He screwed it. If his, you know, part where he sang. He always nailed it. Always 100% perfect. Yeah. But it was, you know, thought that when he had to speak it instead of sing it, he would think about it in his mind. He would break down in tears or he would start laughing because he, he knew he was about to break down in tears. You know, it meant so much. It hit him so hard. That song, it broke him down emotionally. Yeah. And you can hear it in a lot of those yeah, you know, versions where he you know, tried to redo the song in studio. He tried in New York City. He tried it in Sun Studios. For the last, I don't know if it's like seven or eight years of his life, he could not record that song. It's a song he couldn't sing. Wow. <laughs> so there's a lot of, it's wild. I like to hear how he broke down that song and how it just, I mean, almost like sickened him. Like yeah. it, he was, it almost depressed him to the point where there was no way he could ever you know, sing that song again. Because I think he he realized you know, later in his life that the whole thing with Priscilla, he screwed that up. Oh yeah, it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Like he should have never treated her the way he did, and he knew that at the end of his life. I'm pretty sure, and I think he hated himself for it. That sounds about right. Well, that's all the info that I have. I'd say we're ready for the hypotheticals. Yeah, I think so, too. So, what is the song that you would make love to? My make love song is Can't Help Falling In Love. It's, uh, I love that song. I would have to go with that, too. And I'm kind of on a whim here because... I liked so much of his stuff, but I mm-hmm. forgot about so much of his stuff until we started this. Right. So, yeah, I would be the same way. What about your fight song? My fight song would be You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. Okay. I'm going to go Heartbreak Hotel, just the way it leads in. Okay. Yeah, I that like makes it. Sense. It can kind of get you, get you a little pumped up. And uh, what's, what's the song you listen to forever and ever? Suspicious Minds. Okay. You? The one that's keyed up right now. Unchained Melody. Now, was he the original person that sung this? Because this was in Dirty Dancing, wasn't it? This song? It was in Ghost, I know. Ghost, yes. Um, I just, you know, I know people have covered it, but I wondered if he was the original one. Uh, you know what? I don't. It's done by the Righteous Brothers. I think that was the original so Righteous Brothers. They released it in 1965. So much. It's a hell of a song. Yes. Yeah. A guy named Hi Zaret. 
His first name is H Y. Last name Zaret. Z A R E T. It's one of my. It's like a, a top ten song of all time for me. Okay. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I've always loved it. Yeah. Since I was little, it was originally, I think originally sang by the Righteous Brothers. Okay. Um, but Raider, it was it was redone by everybody. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know Elvis. Well, we know it was multiple yeah. people. Everybody's multiple. heard this song or tried to perform this song. Right. But we hope that we've done this episode some justice, letting everybody know about Elvis and how he will forever be the king of rock and roll. And now there's a you know, a movie about his life. Yes, out, so. and I'm excited to see it. They said that it's it's a pretty good movie from the reviews that I've seen so far. Well, I mean, it's it's got a great subject to talk about, so they had a lot of opportunities to do. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if you have a boring uh, subject, it kind of you know, ties your hands. But if you got something as lively and as entertaining and as energetic as Elvis, yeah, then I think you're in good shape. You can you can figure out a way to make a you know enjoyable movie. Right. All right, folks, hit us up on the social media. Let us yeah. know what you think. If you loved it, if you hated it. What's your favorite Elvis tune? And uh, we're still open for suggestions. So yeah. if you guys want to learn about somebody, send it in. Yeah, let us know. As always, like, share, follow, rate, review. Tell your friends, neighbors, coworkers, everybody. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, until we meet again, hasta mañana. This here podcast was prepared and accomplished by the Country Music Critic. The views and opinions expressed on the Country Music Critic are not necessarily those of the guests, sponsors, or anyone associated with the production of this here podcast. The Country Music Critic releases itself from all misrepresentation. Any information shared on this podcast was researched and obtained using the World Wide Web, a.k.a. the interweb. Comments made on the Country Music Critic are meant to be informative, comical, or just plain silly, and not meant to defame, asperse, calumniate, slander, traduce, vilify, or be malign in any way. Why do you boys consistently make me say all of them tough words? Don't like it. Thanks for joining us on the Country Music Critic, and we'll catch y'all next time.